This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, before we get going, I think uh, we're probably going to take a break for uh, next week's, right? I mean, we'll probably release something, but nothing crazy considering it is going to be the holidays. So I guess this is our last real one before the holidays. I guess we'll we can see do something, but maybe we'll put out something and we'll see how the schedule yeah, goes. But maybe, you know, yeah, maybe I'll throw out like a short lecture or something. We, we should put something out there. You know, like history doesn't stop just because it's the holidays <laughs> and there's a lot of history on the holidays and we, you know, there's, there's stuff going on. History doesn't stop. I like that, Tommy. And All nothing right. What stops. Are, <laughs> and you know what? You can't stop this person we're talking about today. No, no, no. That's an no. individual that we, I've uh, been talking about doing uh, this individual for a while. I obviously, if you're reading the description, I don't know why we kind of put like a little suspense yep. here because you click on it anyway. So, but um, yeah, today we're going to be looking at one of the most um, revered and iconic martial artists of all time and filmmakers of all time, and that's uh, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Um, I mean, I found out a lot of. I mean, I was kind of obsessed with Bruce Lee when I was younger, so I knew a decent amount about him. But I found out a lot more things that I did not know doing research for this. Um, yeah, this is. I mean, I grew up with Bruce Lee, like. To a point where my dad, like, I think one of the ways he learned English was watching uh, Bruce Lee movies. And well, your students. father introduced, remember, so, Entered a Dragon to your wife, like second yes, date. Yes, when we were first dating. Yeah, he's, <laughs> well, I yeah, I'd meet the parents and she sat her down and made her watch Enter the Dragon, the entire movie. <laughs> so I was very amazed by the scene where my dad described how he, you can kill someone by kicking them in the groin. See, so, uh, yes. and and she stayed with you, and now you guys. She have stayed two kids, around, see? so it worked out. It she worked stayed out. around, so I, I guess yeah, I owe part of my marriage <laughs> to Bruce Lee. Then, so thank you, nice. Mr. Lee. Nice, but uh, Enter the Dragon, actually, which we will discuss, did not. It was first of all, this is his biggest hit. That's the movie that truly like made Bruce Lee for what he is today in pop culture. Yeah, um, at least in the United States, and it did not come out until after he was already deceased, which yeah. is also an interesting story that I think we are going to touch upon because there is some controversy as to why this person passed away i mean he was only 33 years old he was a young guy and in amazing peak shape so let's kind of get get going here and you know talk a little bit about bruce lee right like said, a little background he wasn't like you know iconic actor director martial artist um he was a child actor in hong kong he came returned to the united states he taught martial arts for a while um we'll get into it but it's kind of a synopsis right he starred in a tv series of green hornet which we can yep. talk about a little bit. And he really became a major box office draw at some of the movies, his earlier movies, like the Chinese connection, um, yeah, way yeah. of the Dra- way of the dragon, fist of fury. Yep. And then obviously enter the dragon happened right before he died, but his early life. So he was born in uh, San Francisco, California, which is key here because right. Yeah. Cause he's actually, his parents are from British Hong Kong. So the reason he even makes it to San Francisco, right? Tom is because his dad is actually a very famous um, Cantonese opera singer. And he and his wife come to San Francisco for like an exhibition and she's pregnant. And therefore, she gives birth to Bruce Lee in San Francisco, making him a dual citizen. Um, they don't really stay in San Francisco. He's literally here on like an opera tour. So they, yeah, you know, they went like about four months. Literally. Right. So four months later, boom, like April 1941, he returns back to British Hong Kong. And that's ultimately where he winds up. Um, but what's interesting, we should mention the year. This is April 41 when he goes back to Hong Kong as a little baby. And that's also when Japan launches as an attack on British Hong Kong and rules yeah. it for the remainder of the war. So from 41 to 45. So he's kind of his first steps. He's growing up 
put some historical context into this under Japanese occupation. He grew up in the in, during World War II. Like he was a baby yep. during the beginning of World War II. Yep. And we should also mention the fact that his parents were very wealthy. Um, his father, like I said, was a, va- a famous um, entertainer. His mom also came from a very well-known family. His On his mom's side, his great-grandfather was a big Dutch, um, was a white dude, uh, a Dutch trader that had made a lot of money. Then also on the mother's side, his grandma was German. So he had, this actually comes into play later on because he has some ancestry that is white European, which yeah, comes to- Yeah, Eurasian ancestry, Cantonese, yep. right? Dutch, like you said. Yeah, and it comes to play later on because there is a rule where you should not teach um, martial arts to those to foreigners. Period. Like that's kind of like that was kind of like a thing back then in the forties and fifties and sixties. And he did teach, obviously, um, his martial arts to foreigners, which was something that was frowned upon, and he kind of you know got him into a little bit of trouble, which I'm sure we'll get into. As a nine-year-old, uh, he actually stars in a movie called The Kid in 1950. Kid. So he's a young kid. He gets into acting much earlier, even than I He has a nickname, right? He has a nickname, right? The Little Dragon. Because he was born dragon. in both the hour and the year of the dragon. Yep, the Chinese Zodiac. That. So it's kind of like that kind of sticks with him, that, that, that nickname. Not the little part, but going on in life. Yep. And again, I was not aware of the fact that he was acting so much earlier um, than he really was. But apparently they said that in 56, right? So... I mean, how how old is he? He's like 15 years old. He was actually thrown out of school for poor conduct. Apparently, he kept on getting into fights all the time. Fights, basically. Um, Yep. And uh, he eventually, well, first of all, we need to kind of, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but he mixed a lot of different, hence they say this is like, he's like the grandfather of mixed martial arts because he mixes all kinds of different styles. It's about boxing. It's about, um, you know, Kung Fu. It's about pretty much you name it he, he just he mixes it um and he starts to do that by basically street fighting you he did know, that, he did that early on yeah and then his one friend right uh william chung is the one that introduces him to imp man and i i'm think believe i'm saying that right right so yeah so the ip man begins training him but initially just see this initially there was a problem yeah, he was rejected because, because of his german yeah. heritage yeah he was rejected yeah. and then um in um wing chung kung fu was, was the uh the style that he would eventually be trained in. He was eventually accepted into school and the trainers of the school were really, they wanted to make sure that these young kids didn't fight in street fights all over Hong Kong. So they encouraged yeah. them to fight in these organized um, competitions. Yeah. And a lot of them uh, refused to even train with Lee because he had mixed interests. That's how like, like these lines were drawn back then in the 1950s and stuff like that. Like they wouldn't even train with him because he wasn't pure. Chinese because he had this German heritage and stuff like that in him. They wouldn't even train with him because it was mixed ancestry. Ancestry, yep. Um, They wouldn't teach non-Asians this stuff. But what essentially starts to happen is he winds up going into a boxing tournament in 1958 and he winds up winning it. It's the Hong Kong Schools Boxing Tournament. And he knocks out the previous champion in the final and he kind of becomes, even in, in Hong Kong, even as a young kid, he becomes kind of known as this like mixed martial arts guru. One thing that a lot of people don't know is that he was also a pretty intense cha-cha dancer. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. It was like one of those things I guess we'll get into later on. Yeah, but he actually won a couple um like championships, championships in, in that as well too. And he really he's something he like really enjoyed too. That was one of the things that he enjoyed doing any free time. Like obviously martial arts was his life. But um yep. that, the cha-cha dancing, yeah, was something that he deeply enjoyed and deeply uh took seriously as well. And really and also. He, like, Absolutely. Well, I mean, the trend came initially came from Cuba and then through from Cuba to the Philippines 
and from the Philippines to China. And then the cha-cha basically settles in Hong Kong and it becomes like the social scene at the time. So many different youth and adult competitions spring up and he started taking part in those cha-cha dancing things. He was like 14 and 58 uh, when he winds up winning like the Crown Colony Cha-Cha Championships. You know, again, martial arts, but also dancing. Like that's one of the things I did not really know when I was doing the research for this. So, But kind of interesting. You learn something new every day. Yeah, so basically he's doing that, right? He wins that competition. And in his late teens, he's still they're still getting a lot of these um, fights, right? Mm-hmm. And all these street fights are becoming more and more um, frequent. And um, but it's arrested, Lee was he? now good. Yeah. What happens is he beat the son of a triad family, which is basically like the mafia, right? Like yep. organized crime. And um, this happened in 1958. He, a rival school, the Choi Lee Foot School, Choi Lee Foot uh, School, challenges the Wong Chung School, and they engage in this fight on the rooftop. And supposedly someone um, punches Lee unfairly. So Lee got upset, beat this other boy pretty good, um, hit him right in the face, knocked him out, knocked out one of his teeth. And this led to complaints, complaints to the boy's parents to the police. Um, they let him go, assuming, saying the mother has to take full responsibility for his son's actions. And they just kind of said, listen, you know, he's got American um, citizenship. Um, his, he's not safe here because of his mixed heritage, because he keeps on getting all these fights. And, you know, now the triads get involved and stuff like that. We got to get him out of here. And because he didn't have a lot of um, really good um, college prospects, um, they decided to, in Hong, in Hong Kong, I mean, they decided let's just send, send him to the United States. Yep. So that's basically and, what happens. Yep. And he winds up settling in Seattle. He moves to Seattle in 1959. He's still actually a senior in high school. So he winds up going to high school uh, while he's in Seattle. He also works as like a live-in waiter at a, a Chinese restaurant. And he, on the side, he starts teaching others martial arts. And I remember, like, he learned martial arts pretty much his whole life. He was learning martial arts. Well, he and came that up was with the his way of like, style. Yeah. yeah, he started coming up with his own style because he's mixing yeah. all these different things. And Zhu Fen Kung Fu, yeah. Basically, yep. it became known as Bruce Lee's Kung Fu. Yep. It was his approach to, to Wing Chun. So yep. He taught his friends that he met in Seattle. He started practicing with um, judo people like Jesse Glover. And he continued yep. to teach some of the, a lot of these early te- techniques as time came on. Yep. So he opens up his martial first martial arts school. Uh, then he winds up in 61. He enrolls in the University of Washington. And this was actually one of the first things I found that was part of contention because of the fact that he studied drama, right? And a lot of people believe that he studied philosophy because he kind of becomes a philosopher going, you know, later on. And he was an avid reader of philosophy. But his major actually was, was drama, which also makes sense considering that he does become an actor. Even himself, he would say that he studied philosophy, but his record, you know, his transcripts are like, no, yeah. yeah. He probably did study a lot of philosophy, but it wasn't his official. It wasn't his know, major, yeah. It wasn't his official major at the time, yeah. So he drops out of college in early 64. Um, and yeah, then winds up. California, right? Yep, that's exactly what I saw. First, first California and Oakland, he opens up like a martial arts studio. Um, and this is kind of the the beginning of making Bruce Lee, because while he's at this martial arts studio in California, he gets invited by this American martial artist that kind of hears of him. He gets invited to the Long Beach International Karate yeah. Championship. By uh, 19- Ed Parker, who's famous at the time, yeah. Yep, in 1964. Um, and that's where he starts performing. The You should see videos of this, guys. Like, this is yeah. all on YouTube. He starts performing repetitions of two-finger push-ups using the thumb and the index finger of one hand. Like, two-finger push-ups. Like, this is insane. Yeah. He also has his famous one-inch yeah, punch, right? The one-inch punch, yeah, where he stands upright, basically, and just from one inch – 
punches a guy who goes flying into his chair and falls over. Apparently, the guy was injured for like a week. This was um, it's also actually on, on YouTube. All these things are it's it's almost insane. You can find more, yeah. Now, yeah, he's yeah. like a YouTube. You can see all these things. But when people hear about this, like it's in the magazines, but also just word of mouth, and they want to see this guy because he's also not a tall person. Not very no, he's big five person. eight. He's literally like he's five eight. eight. He's small, yeah. But he can he with the proper technique and everything, and he's just doing this, and it's going to start to. It's the right time too. It's 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 a lot of things going on that makes it a perfect storm, which we'll get to. But um, yeah, this that four step punch, um, you know, sent that guy. I think his name was Bob Barker, not the Bob Barker from uh, Price is Right, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, and he just took him out with this one punch. Yeah. And you see that in '64, he um goes into this like underground, controversial private match in Oakland's Chinatown, because again, this another thing that's kind of contested here. One is the guy that he fought, Wong Jackman. Um, apparently, he was he was a student of another, um, you know, karate martial arts group in Los Angeles area, and apparently, Lee said that he could beat anyone up and win against anyone in a duel in Los Angeles or anywhere near California. Actually, in California, I think he said, which is why this guy supposedly asked him to a duel. But the other story is the fact that. Bruce Lee was challenged by this particular person for the fact that he was teaching martial arts to people yeah. that were to whites, non-Asians. Exactly. So the idea was basically if Lee won, he would be able to teach anybody he wanted. Mm-hmm. And if he lost, he'd have to close his school. That's what Bruce Lee says. Wong Jackman basically says, no, he's like, I didn't discriminate against non-whites. I was teaching non-whites too at the time. Yeah. So it was a business, but you know this, he just wanted to fight Bruce Lee because apparently Bruce Lee said he could beat anyone in a fight, like he said. Yep. So they just so they had this battle. Yeah, no, and it's it's again content, contention again because some people say that it lasted three minutes, while others say it lasted twenty to twenty five minutes. And apparently Bruce Lee winds up winning the battle. However, Lee himself later on states that it was this fight, this like underground fight, that made him really reassess his own fighting style. And he said that because he was trying to stick too much to one style, it limited him too much. So he decided to really just look into mixed martial arts, like any boxing, kickboxing, um, taekwondo, you name it. Like this was his version. That's what he really started concentrating on creating his own distinct style. And it's also at this time, basically, where he becomes, you know, kind of recognized for, for his style. Now, few things one this is kind of the i would say this is also the beginning of him going into his movie career wouldn't you say like this kind of right yeah it starts to basically because the long beach exhibition right they said that the long beach exhibition in 64 leads to an invitation by a television producer for an audition for one particular role which he winds up actually not getting but there's potential in lee right so the television producer is like "Ah, i think i got something for you and the producer happened to be the same guy that produced the Batman 1966 series. And this yeah, is happening in 1966. A, that's why there's a crossover eventually. With Batman. Which is, did you hear the cool story about a crossover in it? So anyway, Green Hornet, based on a radio show yeah. by the same name. It only lasts one season. So it's 26 episodes in 1966 through um, 1967. He plays and Kato basically, the sidekick. Yeah, he's the sidekick. He's Kato the sidekick. But this is what introduces Bruce Lee to the American audience. When I started looking at the facts about Bruce Lee, I thought this was kind of interesting where when he was um, in the Batman crossover that you just mentioned, the script said that he would lose in a fight against the boy wonder, right? Robin. 
And Bruce Lee, again, he doesn't have much cred yet, you know, credibility when it comes to acting and whatnot, but he said he's not going to film that. There's no way he's going to do that. And actually, when they pressured him to do it, he goes, there's no way that Boy Wonder would beat up Kato. And he like walked off their, their reading, the script reading. And then finally, they're like, all right, let's just, we'll figure this out. So they rewrote it. So it's kind of like, you know, it's it's almost like a diplomatic draw between the two of them. Because yeah, Bruce Lee's like, respect, and they stop. Well, they also yeah. they said like, if you watch those old Batman, you know, Ka- uh, Pal, Bam, you know, that yeah. old the sixty TV show, they're basically just they're fighting with their fists for the most part. And that's how they originally wanted Lee to fight. And he's like, that's not my style. So they yeah. actually changed it, and they let him do his you know tr- uh, his traditional fighting style. And even said at first they had to they had a problem with the cameras because the camera he was moving too fast a lot of times for the camera that. To, fu- yep. to fully catch. So they had to, like slow it down, readjust angles and stuff like that, and he. Lee's taking note of all this, and this is stuff that he's going to bring when you know he starts making his movies later on. Isn't it crazy? The best cameras in the world at that point could not catch his kicks and his moves because he was too yeah, fast. He moves so fast, yeah. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh, yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Crazy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, they said that actually whenever, when he, later on when he filmed Enter the Dragon, his kicks were still so fast. Um, so the shot almost like looked fake. So the directors had to reshoot the scenes of his kicks in slow motion at 34 frames per second because his kicks were so fast, which is crazy. Um, so Lee's emphasizing his style of no style here, right? He's um, Green Hornet kind of makes him popular, but also what makes him popular is the fact that his style of no style that he calls his particular uh, Jeet Kune Do um, really draws a lot of attention by a lot of famous people. And he starts, you know, he opens up a new school and now he starts training Hollywood stars. I mean, if you look at the prices he was charging at the time, he was charging like $250 an hour for a private lesson. Um, Steve McQueen, right? James Garner, Roman Polanski. Now that 275 would equate to like $2,500 an hour in today's money. He's doing very well. Yeah. Just, just, you know, he's being asked to choreograph fights for, for TV things. And again, he, this is his thing. He, but unfortunately, the United States is not ready for an Asian superstar. So therefore, he kind of feels like he's not really being offered any roles per se. So he winds up, you know, he's doing a lot of stuff on the side. He's training Hollywood stars. He's writing choreography for movies. But then he's like, forget it. I'm going to go back to Hong Kong. So he goes back to Hong Kong in 71. And actually, he realizes that he's like a superstar there because the Green Hornet was changed to basically be called like Kato, right? I think it was Kato. Um, yeah, they changed. It so they changed. Whole, totally different there. Yeah, yeah. Basically, they made they made the sidekick be the main guy. Yeah. And when he goes back, that's when he essentially signs with to okay. Golden Harvest, which is like the Warner Brothers of Hong Kong and China. 
and essentially yeah, does his first on the big, movies. Yeah, two two movies then with them produced by Golden Harvest. Um, the first one was a leading big role boss. movie called the Big the Big Boss, which I yeah. remember seeing or hearing about. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a huge box office success across like Asia and became became a star. And the one yeah. that followed up that a lot of people say is like one of his best movies was The Fist of Fury, which also broke yeah. a whole bunch of the records set by the big boss. So he finished his two, you know, his initial two year contract. He negotiates a new deal with Golden Harvest. Then he forms um, his own company, like Concord Productions Incorporated. And then for his third film, which is the one that a lot of people like to see, um, is known as The Way of the Dragon. He had complete control of the production. He was a writer, the director, the choreographer, the fight scenes. And um, basically, he's de- he became, uh, at the time, before this, he met Chuck Norris. Again, everyone knows who Chuck Norris is. Yeah. <laughs> and in the way of the dragon, he introduced um, Norris to moviegoers as his opponent in the movie. And that was kind of like the trailer, yeah. too. Like the legend Bruce Lee versus the American karate champion, Chuck Norris. And their showdown was categorized as one of the best fights in the martial arts um, history. Like the, the two that, you know. Yeah, Going no, I mean, just, it, you see that one. If you, ever, see, if you ever see that fight, it's on YouTube too. It's like a, probably like a good twenty-five minutes, half-hour fight, yeah. right? I That's think he's cool. called like his Bruce um, Chuck Norris. I think his name Colt or something like that in the yeah. movie. And it's funny because later on, fight. Chuck Norris said that if there was ever a real fight, Chuck Norris admitted he would probably lose that fight. Against yeah, Bruce. yeah, well, he was he was very good friends. Well, he's very good friends with Lee. So whenever they talk about it now, he always says, yeah. "Listen, I'm I, it's it's a you know." we would never fight in real life and this all stuff, you know, I totally respect him and his style. He respect me. And they, they were both always very, they never one ever actually like answered that question for the most part. You know, yeah. they've always would say they refer to the other one because it was just something that they just, they had too much respect for each other. Yeah. They go into that. They made a ton of money. The movie. Yep. So 72, this is something I had no idea until I started doing research for this. Uh, because Game of Death is like a Frankenstein movie. I mean, no question about it. But Lee begins working on another film for Golden Harvest called The Game of Death. And he starts filming some scenes, including the fight scene um, with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem, you know, this was what Bruce Lee's wearing. Of course I know what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is. But, I also, he, but he was also his former student. And so like, this yeah. just shows you the caliber of people he was training in his school while he was back in the United States. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in um, this basketball stars in this fight sequence. This is what Bruce Lee's wearing, the famous yellow with a black stripe one-piece suit that is eventually um, worn by Umar Thurman, right, in, uh, in Kill um, Bill. Kill Bill. Kill yep. Bill, yep. So anyway, so he starts filming this thing and mostly just does the fight scenes. He probably films like, I don't know, like maybe like a half hour worth of stuff. And then the production stops because Warner Brothers offers him the opportunity to film Enter the Dragon, right? And the premise here is that it's going to be the first ever joint production by Golden Harvest, Warner Brothers, and his own production company, Concord. So he pauses Game of Death, and then he goes to Hong Kong in 73 and starts filming Enter the Dragon, which basically was the movie that really makes him for American audiences. Um, So before the release of Enter the Dragon, like six days before its release, actually, Lee winds up dying. Um, and Enter Dragon goes on to become the year's highest grossing film. I mean, this thing literally makes him a legend. Um, so, I mean, just comparison. The, the movie cost $850,000 to make, right? Um, and it grossed $350 million worldwide. Like, talk about a return, right? It also starts this fad of, like, you know, Kung Fu mania, martial arts, um, Kung Fu fighting, you know, like a song. Kung Fu yeah, it just, it, it, it just became a major phenomenon. Yeah. 
And uh, talking about this idea of like Game of Death, so Game of Death is later pieced together. Yeah, it, after... it, it, it's a crazy thing, yeah. But he's Terrible, actually, actually. In about fifteen minutes of it. Yeah, but what makes um, it so yeah. crazy? Tell me, because everyone knows it. I mean, come on, what? Like this is kind of crazy when I saw this. So the death scene of that movie, right? Just the premise. So Game of Death, we only have 15 minutes of Bruce Lee, but they're like, hey, he's listen, he's famous now. Up, yeah, different floors, right? It's yep. basically like a video game. He's got to fight Literally. up different floors and fight the big boss end of each level until he yep. gets to the top floor with the with the big main boss on it, right? Yep. And uh, But there's no other plot. So they have this like 15 minutes of Bruce Lee footage, and they start piecing together footage from other movies of Bruce Lee. They get two people like- to... Yeah, they step movie. They step, get two people to stand in for him to play Bruce Lee, always behind sunglasses. They dubbed the whole thing. I mean, literally, it's a Frankenstein movie. They're trying to capitalize in some way, shape, or form on Bruce Lee's last movie, but like it, it wasn't really at all. But what's crazy is in the movie, Bruce Lee actually like fakes his own death supposedly for that scene in the movie. If you guys watch Game of Death, there is a scene of Bruce Lee's character in a coffin and on his funeral, that's the real Bruce Lee. They used literally real recordings of Bruce Lee's body in a casket at his own funeral as scenes of this movie, which I think is crazy. Like, who does that? I mean, apparently this production company from Hong Kong did, but like, yeah, what? Which, which they did it, yeah. Yeah, and they did have um, other unused footage, which later on they made a documentary called uh, Bruce Lee, The Warrior's Journey. It's like a documentary yeah. that came out years later. And they did that sort of thing. But yeah, it was just like, he was definitely producing, going to be producing other movies, making other movies that were in, you know, in production or starting to before he died. Because no one expected him to die. And we'll get to that in a few minutes, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. But, so let's, um, let's, I mean, we could get to his death again. No one expected yeah. this in the way, any way, shape or form. Um, the, it's the first inkling of it, 1973, May 10th, um, Lee collapses. Uh, he's doing like a dialogue replacement for Enter the Dragon at Golden Harvest Film Studio in Hong Kong, right? Yeah. Um, he suffers from a seizure, headache, taken to Hong Kong um, hospital, diagnosed him with cerebral edema. So basically they're saying like his brain is swelling. So they reduce the swelling of his brain. That was the precursor to what essentially kills him. Um, he feels better. He goes home. And then a couple months later, July 20th, 1973, he's in Hong Kong having dinner with George Lazenby, who starred in one James Bond movie because he kind of wanted J- George Lazenby to do a movie with him. So they wind up having lunch, and then afterwards, he winds up going to his producer's house, or rather, he meets his producer's house. Um, at that he meets his producer at a yeah, house. Talk about Game of Death, yeah, talk yeah. About Game of Death. Yep, and they meet at a house of Betty Ting Pei, who's a Taiwanese actress, and apparently, Bruce Lee's like lover on the side because he's married to an American. Um, we kind of should have mentioned that he has two kids, but we'll get to that later. Okay. So he's got he's at this house of his mistress, who's an actress, with his producer. They're going over the script, right, of Game of Death. The producer leaves, and Lee stays, and he starts complaining of a headache. So she gives him a painkiller, um, which contains aspirin and some form of a tranquilizer. Yeah. And he goes to lie down yeah. for a nap, and basically he never wakes up. So he never wakes up. Yeah. When he she doesn't freaks come out. for dinner. Yeah. Freak out. Yeah. And they were unable to wake him up, so they call the doctor. They spent 10 minutes basically trying to revive him before they finally called an ambulance. And then by the time the ambulance gets him to the hospital, he was declared dead on arrival at the yeah. age of 32. And there and wasn't they really was, any injuries to him. Yeah, no. They said death by misadventure, uh, the autopsy. Basically, his brain swall, was swollen, um, swelled up, they said, from 1,400 to 1,575 grams, which is a 13% increase. 
Um, and they said that his brain, his edema in his brain swelled up because of an allergic reaction to the tranquilizer yeah, inside the medicine that she gave him for his headache. Um, so it was an accidental death by misadventure. He is brought back by his wife, Linda, to Seattle, where he is buried in the Lakeview Cemetery. Um, and all this happens literally after he's like at this moment becoming a world, you know, recognized star, which is kind of crazy. So, I mean, the cultural impact is, eh, you name it. Well, I it mean, was, yeah, it, it was not, it was, it was a blow to people. And he was like really this rising star becoming this like, basically the, sim, the face of martial arts in the world, you can make the argument, right? But definitely yeah. in the United States, you think of that whole martial arts phase, it was Bruce Lee and now 32 years old, dead. Yep. So let's talk about, uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of cool, fun facts here we could probably mention. Um, So let's, do you have anything else? I mean, I was just going to go right into like some fun facts because there's plenty. Yeah, yeah, we're going to fun facts. I guess we can go into his legacy after that. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, so he had, him and Linda had two kids. Um, The famous of the two, his daughter's still alive and is like in charge of running his organization now. But his son, Brandon Lee, also became a martial artist and an actor and um, died tragically when a bullet misfired or rather a prop gun bullet fired at the um, shooting of the movie, the crow killing his son as well when he was young. So they said it was like this, you know, Chinese um, try a conspiracy, basically try a conspiracy that they killed the Bruce Lee and then his son, Brandon Bruce Lee, um, or that there was some kind of, he was uh, not jinx. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Curse. Oh my God. Curse. Yeah, that's what it was. But I mean, some fun facts. Uh, do you know that in Enter the Dragon, um, one of the extras is actually Jackie Chan. He yes, was, I did hear about. Yeah, that. he was beaten up by Bruce Lee like twice in that movie, um, and he, he said he still talks about it based on what I saw, which is kind of crazy. Um, Time Magazine actually named Bruce Lee one of the hundred most influential people of all of twentieth century. Um, which you know, and this is we're talking like Muhammad Ali and Frank, Marilyn Monroe, Jackie Robinson, Rosa Parks. Charles Lindbergh, like Bruce Lee, uh, because of culturally, I mean, he really kind of bridged the gap between Asia and the United States and, and kind of mainstreamed Asian, specifically Chinese, Cantonese culture in the United States and the world, really, which is kind of crazy. Um, and I, mean, I alluded to this before, but he was an avid reader, loved to read. Yeah, didn't he own um, a, doesn't he, own, he owns a huge, he, huge collection Yeah, they of said like it was... 2,500 books in his personal library at his house. Um, always reading all the time. A lot of philosophy books. Um, and they said he kind of self-taught himself because he didn't pay attention in school. He always fought. He was like, you know, just fighting people on rooftops. And it wasn't until later that he really got into books. And his dream was to actually one day open up a bookstore. See, we share that, Bruce Lee and I. I want to open up a bookstore. There you go. One day. That's, that's the only thing you probably share with Bruce Lee. But. That's probably it. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Yeah. You can do a roundhouse kick too, right? You can break boards. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, um, one that I saw, like you think of Bruce Lee as this like, you know, um, fearless individual. He actually did have one fear that he talked about a lot, and that was um, swimming pools. That when Because when he was young, his sister pushed him into a swimming pool as a joke and then um, held his um, his head under the water, right? Um, mm. Well, basically, he pushed his sister into a swimming pool. So then she got mad, threw him into a swimming pool, and held him under the water until he promised never to do it again. And from then on, he never went into the swimming pool again. It just like traumatized him. He's like, I'm done. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So like, that was his one, like, you know, phobia, I guess. Do you see that he was actually unfit for the U S army? 
don't know if you saw this. Yeah, so because he's a U.S. citizen, so he comes here. He's like seventeen, eighteen. Finishes high school before he goes to college. Um, he's he has to go through an evaluation for U.S. Army. Um, and but by the way, with like he literally had body fat in single digits, right? This guy could literally do push-ups using two fingers, one arm push-ups. Um, he failed the military physical for U.S. Draft Board in 1963, uh, mainly be, not because he was in peak physical condition, but because of an undescended testicle. Um, and that is why he was not sent to Vietnam. Imagine how much that would have changed. Bruce Lee sent to Vietnam mm-hmm. in 63. Could change things, yep. Yeah, right. You wouldn't know who Bruce Lee was. Um, Cha-Cha Dancer we talked about because that came up uh, as well when I was looking at, into this thing and training numerous people. The Roman Polanski thing, and I never saw the movie. You said you did, but this is interesting from my research is yeah. that Roman Polanski actually for a second believed that Bruce Lee might have murdered Sharon Tate, his his wife. Um, and apparently this stemmed from the fact that – so obviously Sharon Tate it was ma- uh, killed by the Manson family in August 69. But it was be months before Manson family was arrested for the murder. So in the meantime – Polanski started, like, became really obsessed with finding the suspect and looking at anyone that could, you know, could possibly kill his wife. During one of his kung fu lessons, in the months after the murders, Lee mentioned to Polanski how he had recently lost his glasses. Right away, Polanski's like, "Wait a second! There was a pair of these horn rimmed glasses found at the murder scene near his wife's body, right?" So he purchases a gauge to measure the lens and find out the exact prescription, um, and then he actually offers to bring Lee to the doctor to get his you know new glasses just so he could determine if it's the same prescription or not and it wasn't obviously so it didn't match and Polanski never told us like told him about this but later on he admitted to this in an article that he suspected Bruce Lee it's kind of crazy yeah he was just so paranoid you know what was going on but yeah the movie um is uh once upon a time in Hollywood and Bruce Lee was someone who plays Bruce Lee's in the movie a couple times they kind of make him to be more of a I know a Quentin Tarantino was on a lot of podcasts talking about it and stuff he was he was kind of gotten some trouble on how um, they portrayed Bruce Lee in the movie at times because when Quarantino said, "Listen, you know Bruce Lee, he didn't have basically great things to say about Bruce Lee. Let's put it that way. He yeah you know, respected Bruce Lee as far as what he could do, but also said a lot of the stuff that they say about Bruce Lee is kind of exaggerating stuff at the time that that he couldn't actually beat up everyone that he thought he could beat up and stuff like that. That when it came down to it, he was only five eight. He was the size that he was a size." Yeah. Uh, if he fought these bigger people, there was no way. In the movie, they kind of show that briefly before he gets like shut down that with uh, Brad Pitt's character. I'm not hoping yeah. not giving too many spoilers. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I have to. But um, yeah, Maybe it's a good movie. And um, but Quentin talks about that, and I think in the book, Quentin Quentin Tarantino also wrote a book. You know, the novelization of that movie. Yeah. And um, in that it, that stuff gets described a lot more, and I think it's more, much more detailed than what you see in the movie. And it kind of also knocks Bruce Lee uh, quite a bit. So a lot of people are very upset with that. Like, how dare you knock Bruce Lee like that? Because he's become, he's more than just a person now. He's, he's an icon. He's a, he's a legacy. He's like something of his own. He's a, a symbol of martial arts. So if you did knock Bruce Lee, it's a knock kind of this like legend, basically, you know? Yeah. I mean, and it's kind of awesome just getting into this because what follows as death becomes this like martial arts craze, but also like Bruce exploitation. Yeah. Like it's, they exploit him and his name. It becomes like a subgenre, yeah. basically. You know, the martial arts cinema gave like Z movie oddities, like re-enter the dragon, enter the game of death. And it starred people like Bruce Lee, but with L-E, not two E's, or Bruce Lee with L-I. Um, even Jackie Chan went into some of these movies. Uh, New Fist of Fury in 76. 
Um, I mean, crazy. It's just basically well, trying even to now they see like yeah, like Luke King from Mortal Kombat. A lot of the guys from Street Fighter Two and Tekken. They're all based on Bruce Lee, and they they freely admit they were based on. Bruce Lee and a lot of the fighters of today. Um, Mike Tyson talks about. It. He said he wanted to be Bruce Lee growing up, and he was a boxer. John Jones, an MMA fighter. A lot of these other MMA fighters. They all say, oh, Bruce Lee was the best of all time." And you know, if it wasn't for Bruce Lee, I would never be a. Um, I would. I would never. I would never be a mixed martial artist and stuff like that. So, it definitely like he had, he had that impact. Everyone still knows Bruce Lee today. Like he's just one of those people that like when you think of martial arts and whatever enter the dragons on you know people watch it you know you have like the scenes it's the whole idea of like punching someone and kicking someone and doing those like screams and stuff like that you see a martial arts movie that was bruce lee that, that was bruce lee so it's just you know he's at his legacy and stuff like that is still there today i think they actually made him didn't they make him a character in um ufc I think, games i think one of the ufc games yeah i think him yeah. like you could like like a downloadable downloadable character and stuff i, ne- I never played or anything but yeah i'm sure I did hear that. Yeah, crazy. Like, yeah, he's he's, oh he's it's an iconic thing now. There's a Bruce Lee Foundation out there now, where people try to like you know pass on things from his life, and he's he just his teachings. There was recently that documentary I know um, ESPN did was like Be Water. He talked about like the flow. He has a lot of famous uh, quotes and stuff like that. Bruce Lee. Yeah, I mean, if, just if anybody gets a chance, just look up some of the stuff on YouTube, like. You know when he's playing ping pong with nunchucks, <laughs> or like yeah, yeah. matches with with nunchucks. I mean, it's, it's nunchucks. Nuts. Yeah, he's just doing this. Like this is just like something that he can do. Like it's not. Yeah. Anyway. He was definitely you know legend of the time. Very interesting, fascinating individual that uh, changed cinema and also just like you know brought that mixed that idea of martial arts to the United States. Like it was here, but he really made it popular. You wouldn't have MMA and all the other stuff without without him. I don't yeah. see how that could happen. You know crazy i don't think that's that much of a stretch all right well thank you so much guys for tuning in once more to our podcast always a pleasure uh if you need to contact us you could find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com we are here if you need us and if uh you are listening to this podcast you know don't forget to subscribe wherever you are listening to it and leave us a review when you get a chance you know we, we always like to hear those and read those so thank you so much guys and we'll see you again next week stay safe everybody I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.